Supreme Court declines to hear Trump-supported Texas case over election results in four other states. So the Supreme Court has denied a Texas effort Friday that would have essentially nullified the presidential elections in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, and Wisconsin. The state of Texas's motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under Article 3 of the Constitution. The Supreme Court's order reads, Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. All other pending motions are dismissed as moot. The order does not foreclose any other pending or future election appeals at the Supreme Court, but time is running out. The states meet next week on December 14th for the Electoral College exercise, and on January 6th there will be a joint session of the House and Senate to count the electoral votes and certify President-elect Joe Biden as the winner. Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas said they would have heard the case, without granting other relief, like issuing an injunction on electoral proceedings. They added that they expressed no view on any other issue. Moments after the court's decision, President Trump tweeted out one of his new campaign videos questioning elections integrity. A Biden spokesman applauded the decision and called the Texas filing baseless. And the court did not provide a complete vote breakdown, so it's unclear how Trump's nominees, Justices Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, may have voted on the appeal. Texas, on Friday morning, had filed a reply brief with the Supreme Court asking the tribunal to hear its lawsuit. The briefing stage of Supreme Court litigation consists of the first party in this instance, in Texas asking the court to hear the case. Then opposition briefs are filed by those on the other side of the case. Then the first party is allowed to file a reply brief, which Texas did Friday morning. Defendant states do not seriously address grave issues that Texas raises, choosing to hide behind other court venues in decisions in which Texas could not participate and to mischaracterize both the relief in Texas seeks and the justification for that relief. The Texas brief says of the opposition's briefs filed by Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Georgia Thursday. Texas continues, an injunction should issue because defendant states have not and cannot defend their actions. The justices could have agreed to hear the case and promptly dismissed it or ruled in favor of Texas, or they could have requested oral arguments before ruling. They declined to hear it outright. The crux of the Texas case was the argument that the four states it is suing, all four of which swung for President-elect Joe Biden, unconstitutionally changed their election statutes in their judiciaries or executive branches. When only the legislature is allowed to make election law, the reply brief writer says that the four states failed to adequately dispute their point that this makes their entire elections invalid. Defendant states do not credibly dispute either that they changed election statutes via non-legislative means or that the electors clause preempts such changes, the Texas brief says. Accordingly, Texas is likely to prevail on the merits. The four states in their reply briefs, meanwhile, did say that any changes that were made to their elections 
were consistent with laws approved by their legislatures and criticized Texas for allegedly undermining the American election process. The base of Texas's claims rests on an assertion that Michigan has violated its own election laws. Not true, the Michigan brief said. That claim has been rejected in the federal and state courts in Michigan, and just yesterday the Michigan Supreme Court rejected a last-ditch effort to request an audit. Not only is the complaint meritless here, but is its jurisdictional flaws abound and provide solid ground to dispose of this action. Added the Pennsylvania brief, the Trump campaign began with a series of meritless litigations. When that failed, it turned to state legislatures to overturn the clear election results. And upon that failure, Texas now turns to this court to overturn the election results of more than 10% of the country. Texas literally seeks to decimate the electorate of the United States. But Texas's Friday brief said that it not it's not asking the Supreme Court to decide or overturn the results of the presidential election, but right a constitutional wrong. Texas does not ask this court to re-elect President Trump, and Texas does not seek to disenfranchise the majority of defendant states' voters, Texas brief says. It continues, Texas asked this court to recognize the obvious fact that defendant states' maladministration of the 2020 election makes it impossible to know which candidate garnered the majority of lawful votes. The court's role is to strike unconstitutional action and remand to the actors that the Constitution and Congress vest with authority for the next step. The Texas case, which is unique in that it seeks to take advantage of the Supreme Court's original jurisdiction for disputes between states, has drawn widespread attention with a large number of parties asking to weigh in as amici curiae, Latin for friends of the court. Most notably, 17 red states weighed in favor of Texas, while over 20 states and territories backed Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Georgia, and 106 Republican House members backed the Texas suit. Meanwhile, the Trump campaign, Missouri, and five other states have gone as far as to ask the Supreme Court to let them join the Texas suit as litigants before the court, not just outside parties weighing in. Despite the widespread attention, however, most legal experts say the Texas case is fatally flawed in several different ways and almost certain to fail. One of the major elements, according to University of Richmond School of Law professor Carl Tobias, is how late the suit is being filed. The timing is extremely late and the justices have been reluctant to resolve election disputes too close to an election, much less after a presidential election has been conducted and votes certified in the states at issue, Tobias told Fox News. Moreover, virtually no judges have agreed with plaintiffs who filed suits in those states challenging the elections. Elaborating on that point, Cato Institute senior fellow Walter Olson noted a principle called Lashes. Olson said the principal bar suits filed at exactly the time most disruptive and prejudicial to the rights of third parties, such as in this case, innocent voters who relied on their state's approved methods, when the issue could have been addressed earlier without that disruption. Olson also said that Texas is wrong on the merits of the case, noting that Texas itself has allowed changes to its presidential election to be made by the executive and judiciary. The imagined rule is universally ignored since states have in fact allowed their governors, judiciaries, or both to make rulings and determinations affecting the manner in which presidential elections are held and electors thus chosen, Olson said. 
Harvard Law professor Lawrence Lessig, meanwhile, accused the attorneys generals of acting on politics rather than sound law, and bringing their remarkable Supreme Court litigation. This is political posturing through litigation. Not one of those attorney generals believes they are entitled to win. He said, "As lawyers, they should stop them from signing onto such an action, but they are acting as politicians, not lawyers here, to the detriment of the rule of law." Tesla is joining the S and P 500 and is mother of all stock market events. On December 18th, Tesla's planned inclusion in the granddaddy of the benchmark U.S. stock indexes is set to create what Howard Silverblatt, senior index analyst for the S&P Dow Jones indices, described to Market Watch as the mother of all stock market rebalancing events, an event that will alter the Topography of the S&P 500 at a pivotal time in an already tumultuous period in financial markets. On Friday, S&P Dow Jones indices said that Real Estate Investment Trust Apartment Investment Management Co. would be removed from the 500 stock index as a part of the effort to make way for the $578 billion electric automobile pioneer. With CEO Elon Musk owning some 20% of the company's shares, though the value would be closer to $460 billion. Part of the trepidation on Wall Street is that Tesla, the largest ever such company by market value to join the S&P 500, will immediately see a weighting in the 500 company index of between 1.5% and 1.6%. To put that addition into perspective, every $11 move in the Palo Alto, California-based company would commensurately swing the entire S&P 500 by nearly a point. We've never put anything that large into the index before, Severblast said. Last quarter's S&P 500 rebalancing saw a sizable $32.4 billion change hands above the average of about. Twenty-seven billion dollars and under the record fifty point eight rebalancing of the third quarter of twenty eighteen. Next Friday's rebalancing could see well over one hundred billion dollars in trading, with much of that to the sell side as passive investors in index trackers, which must hold the same securities as the index and in the same proportion, make room to add Tesla. There are some 5.3 trillion dollars in funds benchmarked to the S&P 500, including those from Behemoth Vanguard, which oversees the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, VU (VOO), and State Street, which looks after the SPDR S&P 500 Trust (SPY), commonly referred to on Wall Street as the SPY. I think Tesla is a highly liquid stock on a normal trading day, but there will be forced buying occurring as SPY, IVV, VOO, and the various S&P 500 index mutual funds add approximately 1.5% of assets into the stock and trim more moderately sized companies to make room. Todd Rosenbluth, head of the ETF and mutual fund research at CFRA, told MarketWatch referencing the ticker symbols of some of the largest exchange-traded funds that include Tesla. 
While there are more than a dozen companies added to the S&P 500 index each year, they are typically among the smallest companies representing less than 0.1% of the index. Tesla is considerably larger and requires more planning on the part of the asset managers who want to refrain from incurring too much index tracking risk, the CFRA researchers said. It's definitely large, Matthew Bartolini, head of the SPDR America's Research at State Street Global Advisors, told MarketWatch on Wednesday. The State Street complex has four other major funds, besides the SPY, that would be adjusted to account for Tesla. The SPDR portfolio, S&P 500 Growth ETF, and the SPDR portfolio, S&P 1500 Composite Stock, and the Consumer Discretionary Select SPDR Fund, and State Street's lower-cost version of SPY, the SPDR Portfolio S&P 500 ETF, all totaled Bertone estimates that the State Street will have to trade some $6 billion to adjust for Tesla in those funds, with the most of that coming from the SPY. It's SPY's largest ever rebalancing, the State Street official said, noting that the fund manager feels it's well-equipped to handle. And it isn't just passive funds that will be compelled to buy Tesla. Goldman Sachs, in a research note last month, estimated that actively managed funds benchmarked to the S&P 500 will purchase around $8 billion of the company's shares. Silverblast said the fact that December 18th also marks quadruple witching, the simultaneous expiration of stock index futures and options and individual stock futures and options and notably volatile time in trading, could actually help relieve some market pressure because that session is usually a high-liquidity day, which could ease any turbulence surrounding Tesla-related moves. Tesla shares will begin trading in the SPX on December 21st. Still, there are questions about what Tesla's inclusion means over the long term. Bartolini estimated that Tesla's inclusion could see the S&P's 500's price-to-earnings ratio one measure of Gauging or gauging the value of stock moved by move, moved by more than 0.6 percent. Tesla's P&E over the last 12 months is 1,208, and the S&P 500's trailing 12-month P/E stands at 27.08. Fact sect data shows. Complicating matters is the fact that Tesla is also an unusually volatile stock for an S&P 500 member. Its shares have run up 48% since the S&P Dow Jones indices announced it would be adding it to the broad market index in mid-November. And Tesla shares have risen a whopping 622% so far this year and are considered one of the most volatile stocks among major companies. Bartolini notes that by some metrics, Tesla is far more volatile on a daily return basis than companies like Apple or even the SPY itself. That being said, he doesn't expect the volatility of Tesla to increase the S&P 500's overall volatility. Meaning, if a fund just held Apple, Tesla, and, say, Wells Fargo, all stocks with volatility over the past year above the market, the volatility of that portfolio would not be the weighted average of the standard deviations. The correlation of returns across those stocks is considered, the State Street official explained. Tesla has historically had a positive correlation with the S&P 500 of 0.49 on a, on a scale where 1.00 means a perfect direct correlation and minus 1.00 means a perfect indirect correlation, Bartolini estimated. 
the average correlation for an index component since 2015 based on a rolling 100-day correlation to the index has been 0.53 according to Burini Associates Incorporated in data commissioned by MarketWatch. Burini's director of research, Jeff Rubin, told MarketWatch that Tesla's correlation based on that measure was a 0.39 and has been choppy during that period, with shares tightening their correlation with the S&P 500 during the February-March pandemic-inspired sell-off. Bartolini also raised another point that the inclusion of Tesla will have a significant impact not just on passive investments, but also on active money managers who have thus far relied upon Tesla to achieve so-called alpha or returns above a market. Now that Tesla will be a part of the S&P 500, it could challenge hedge funds and other investors to figure out different ways of beating the market. That game is over now, the State Street official said. I do think that is going to be a challenge for high-flying growth funds to derive alpha, he said. Little Wayne is guilty. So rapper Little Wayne faces up to 10 years in federal prison after he pleaded guilty Friday to illegal gun possession, prosecutors said. Little Wayne had been charged with criminal possession of a firearm and ammunition as a prior felony offender. Prosecutors said the gold-plated 45 caliber handgun carried in a bag on a private flight was loaded. The rapper, whose real name is Dwayne Carter, entered the plea in Miami Federal Court according to a news release from U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Florida. CNN has reached out to his attorney but has not heard back at this time. Little Wayne, 38, was arrested in December 2019 as he arrived on a flight from California at the Opa Laka Executive Airport. Officers spoke with the rapper, who told them that he had a gun in his bag, officials said Friday. His lawyers noted in November, when the charge was announced, that the musician did not use his firearm. The charge is that because he was convicted of a felony in the past and he is prohibited from possessing a firearm, attorney Howard Sebrink C. Srebrenik, how do you even say that last name? Srebrenik said. A sentencing hearing is scheduled for January 28, 2021. The federal sentencing guidelines call for substantially lower, and I would not look at the maximum exposure to decide anyone's sentence, and all the facts need to be thoroughly reviewed, Ronald Richards, another attorney for the musician, said in November. The artist pleaded guilty in October 2009 to a felony gun charge as part of a deal with New York prosecutors. That charge stemmed from his arrest in 2007 outside of New York City's Beacon Theater in which a 40 caliber pistol was found on his tour bus. His attorney said at the time that the gun belonged to someone else, but Little Wayne accepted a plea agreement and was sentenced to a year in prison. He He ended up serving eight months before being released. Under federal law, convicted felons are banned from possessing guns. Feel free to give your thoughts about this. What do you think about Little Wayne's situation? One, I think it's a little bit sad. I mean, I like his music, but I think my thing is you probably pay a whole bunch of bodyguards at that level, right, to carry weapons for you. So why wouldn't you just like stay away from anything that might get you into trouble? Because, I mean, you literally got millions and millions of dollars, right? So, I mean, you could always just have like one of the fake ones or just one that is not functioning and 
use it as like an art piece and just put it on your like your wall in your mansion right so to me it doesn't really make sense where someone at his level would be willing to do something like that it's and it's something that i see a lot with rappers where they keep making choices that are going to ruin them in the future right like a lot of rappers still end up dealing right and i mean there's only two ways if you're gonna keep doing that like how it ends right there's only two ways it's gonna end if you keep doing stuff like that so that's just my thoughts i mean i hope he uh i guess doesn't get too harsh of a punishment but at the same time you can't keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over again like this is just crazy check out 40inbox.com to master your money personal finance lessons and courses and do you want to make money online learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account and automate your investing with acorns down in the description below.